I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Mark 4 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 25, this second set of parables of our Lord. And in Mark's Gospel, this is the one section where we have a concentration of our Lord's teaching in parables. And then there will be a second teaching section in Mark chapter 13. This morning we'll consider this mixed parable of the lamp and the measure in verses 21 through 25. Mark has recorded Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower. And now we go back to his teaching, beginning in verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, as we begin to dig into this passage, let me begin by just noting a couple of elements from the context. This parable likely picks up with Jesus speaking to the crowds. If you look back in verse 10, after Jesus had given the parable of the sower to the crowds, Mark breaks away and says, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And then down to verse 20, Jesus teaches those that are with him, with the twelve, and interprets the parable. Now, if you look at the end of the section in verses 33 and 34, the end of the whole section of Jesus' parables, we're told that with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So apparently in verse 21, What Mark records is Jesus transitioning back to teaching the crowds and the disciples and everyone with him and laying out these parables as parables of the kingdom of God based on the distinguishing statement in verse 34 that the crowds are included back under the teaching of the word and then a distinction is made between the disciples whom Jesus interpreted these parables when they were alone. It's one of those statements that, you know, it's like, well, I wish I was there listening to the interpretation because we're not given all the interpretations uh, of these parables. And yet that's the joy of searching into the Word of God, searching uh, the mysteries of the Word of God and knowing that what God puts here, He's given us enough understanding in Scripture and through the person of Christ to grasp the teaching that we have here. And it's the glory of kings 
to search out hidden things. And so that's what we get to do this morning as we dive into this parable. We get to search out those hidden things. In this parable, what we find evident in the middle verses, in verses 23 and 24, is an emphasis, a continuing emphasis on hearing. Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. So this second parable addresses the individual responsibility to hear and and possibly is an extension, uh, an expansion on what fruitful hearing looks like. The fruit, those who constantly are hearing the word back in verse 20 are those who bring forth an abundant and fruitful spiritual harvest. So what does it look like to hear? How do we hear? What is it that we are looking for? And as we begin to look into this parable, again, it's just important to keep in, in mind the whole context of the gospel. This is part of Christ's declaration of the kingdom of God, of the gospel. It's part of his teaching those who are under the sound of his voice and calling them to repent and to believe the gospel. And in verse 25, I just want to, we're going to look at the end here and then bring everything together in the rest of the time that we have. But in verse 25, we're confronted with the urgency for Jesus' teaching. Verse 25, Jesus says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You'll either respond in faith to the Lord Jesus and to his teaching and continue to receive understanding about Christ and about the kingdom of God, about the glories of God in Christ, or you'll reject in unbelief and lose everything. Let me introduce a little illustration that might help us grasp what Jesus is saying here. Two people might be in the sea after a shipwreck. Both, both are able to stay afloat and, and alive for a little while. Both have air. Both have life. But if one grabs hold of a life preserver, he will get more life. The one who has life but refuses to take hold of the life preserver will lose the life that he has. The person of Christ, the words of Christ, the work of Christ is as critical to spiritual life as a life preserver is for physical life to someone on the verge of drowning. You will cling to Christ or you'll lose everything you thought you had. Last week, as we considered the parable of the sower, our theme was receive God's word to enter the kingdom of God. And what we'll find as we unfold this parable today, the theme for the parable of the lamp and the measure, 
is listen to God's Son. Listen to God's Son to understand the kingdom of God. Listen to God's Son to understand the kingdom of God. And as so many things in our spiritual lives and following Christ, there's a paradox here. And the paradox is that as we listen and believe, then our understanding increases. We live in a time where people demand, I I must understand everything before I'm going to believe. And Christ says, no, believe in order to understand. Listen to God's Son. Listen to God's Son to understand the kingdom of God. And as an example of the need we have for Christ to illuminate our understanding, to to help us grasp the nature of the kingdom of God, look at one of the key passages in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, even as Jesus' disciples continued to sit under his teaching to learn from the Savior, they were rather slow to grasp all the implications of the kingdom of God. And that is a great encouragement for us, is it not? That the years of of listening to Christ, they, they they had to have truth clarified continually. And this was the case with James and John who were campaigning for some good seats in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said in verse 42 to clarify the nature of the kingdom of heaven, to clarify the nature of serving Christ, of following Christ. He said, he called his disciples to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a mystery of the kingdom of God. It's a clarification of what it is to be a follower of the Son of Man And it's only in Christ, it's only as we give ear to God's Son that we understand the implications of being part of the kingdom of God. It's only as we exalt Christ in His preeminence that we understand the fullness of what it means to have been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. What does it look like to live right here right now as kingdom citizens if you are in Christ and if you have turned to Christ. Well, we have to listen and look to Christ. And I would urge anyone here today or under the sound of the preaching of the Word and you have not turned to Christ, turn to the Lord Jesus The Bible says that you are under the dominion of darkness. And in the dominion of darkness, you you don't know even over what you stumble. Proverbs 4.19 tells us. But in Christ, 
In Christ alone, there is light and life eternal. And his invitation is to all, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is your life. Salvation is found in no one else. And in him alone, you will understand the greatness of his kingdom, the surety of his kingdom. One day, one day, you will indeed stand before him. You will kneel before him. That's a certainty. Kneel before him now in repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. Enter into the light of life in the person of Jesus Christ. So our theme this morning, listen to God's Son to understand the kingdom of God. Now let's unpack this passage in verses 21 through 25. We're going to see, first of all, as we look at the first couple verses, that God sent Christ to reveal hidden things. God sent Christ to reveal hidden things. Jesus says, as he teaches, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, the first thing we need to consider is what is the significance of the lamp? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? What is the significance of the lamp? And there are a number of uh, possible interpretations that, that people have put forward. Some think it might be parallel to Matthew 5, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and therefore it's a parable uh, about evangelizing. Uh, Another option is that it could be the Word of God. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Peter actually, in 2 Peter chapter 1, speaks also of the Word of God, the surety of the Word of God, as a lamp. But there's something rather interesting grammatically about this passage without getting too detailed, but our English version doesn't capture it. It says, is a lamp brought in. That's how our English version reads. But a a rendering of the literal translation would be something along the lines of, does the lamp come into the room? Does the lamp come into the room? And so there's a, there's an article, there's a definite article with the lamp, the lamp. And the lamp is actually the subject and not the object. So the lamp comes into the room. And again, this is a parable. Jesus is giving a, a, a surprising picture as he is using a a common experience, right? Everyone that was under the sound of his voice that day knew what it was to to take a very small terracotta lamp. It's one of those lamps that that look like a, a pitcher and the wick was stuck in the spout and you would pour some oil in there and light the wick and, and come into that room, come into a dark room and often put the lamp on a ledge and it would illuminate that dark room. But Jesus is using that very simple, common experience, but making the lamp the subject that comes into the room. 
Now, when we think about that, another element to bring in as we try to interpret and and seek to interpret what Christ is saying here is considering the breadth of Scripture. When we see a lamp in Scripture, what what does a lamp signify? And again, there are, there are multiple uh, potential interpretations, a couple I've already mentioned, but there is a, a third interpretation and a third symbol that the lamp represents, and that is divinity. Scripturally, a lamp frequently represents divinity. For example, Genesis chapter 15 and verses 17 through 18, this is where Abraham is speaking with the Lord, and the Lord has Abraham divide animals, cut them in half, and then a lamp passes through those animals. And in that context, what God was doing with Abraham was uh, verifying his covenant with Abraham in, in, in the Middle East. When someone made a covenant, they would divide those animals and the two people would join hands and walk between the parts of those animals. And the significance was, if we break this covenant, may we become like those animals. Very graphic and vivid. I I prefer a handshake. The image in, in Genesis 15 then represented God was making a covenant with Abraham, but Abraham didn't walk through, only the lamp went through. And it was symbolic of God making that covenant based on his own character that he was the one that would fill that out. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 29, this is earlier in the passage that we've been using for our call to worship this month. David writes, You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Also in 2 Kings 8.19, speaking of the continuation ultimately leading to Christ since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So we're trying to understand, grasp, what is, what is the lamp? Grammatically, the lamp is a definite subject that comes in. Scripturally, we find many references, and I've just given a sample, that a lamp re- represents divinity. And now let's consider a third aspect Christologically, referring to Christ. Christ specifically identified, is identified as the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, John 1.5. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, John 8.12. Christ... Christ arrived as the light of the world. He arrived not to be placed under the constraints of the old covenant, not to be, not to be overshadowed, but Christ came to illuminate the significance of God's revelation. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? 
For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So the lamp, the lamp represents Christ. God sent Christ to reveal hidden things. Now we need to consider what is hidden that needs to be revealed. What what does Christ illuminate? What does he show us? And what we find in this passage is that there's an intentionality behind what is hidden. Verse 22, nothing is hidden except, and you could say, except for the purpose. There's a, there's a sense of purpose, except for the purpose to be revealed or manifest. Nothing is secret except to come to light. And so what we're finding and what Jesus is teaching, and, and we'll look at some passages that, that verify this and flesh this out, God intentionally veiled the hinted and secret things for the purpose of revealing them in his time and through his son. God intentionally veiled the hidden and secret things for the purpose of revealing them through his son and in his time. And it's important that we recognize and grasp that the hidden things belong to the Lord. It's God's prerogative to hide what he chooses and to reveal what he chooses. It's God's prerogative to keep to keep the meanings hidden until the fullness of time. God intentionally veiled the hidden and secret things for the purpose of revealing. There's an underlying truth here that when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to understanding the Word of God, when it comes to understanding Christ, when it comes to understanding the kingdom of God, all of the wonderful riches that belong to us in God and through Christ, that there, there is no entitlement to anyone. The hidden things belong to God. And so God determines what is revealed, God determines when it is revealed, and God determines how it is revealed, or shall we say, through whom it is revealed. The joy of hide-and-seek and hiding valuable objects and, and finding them, right? We, we understand that. It's innate to us. If there's, well, why is it that people spend whole fortunes trying to find fortune? Right? There's something, there's something hidden that I haven't discovered and I, I can't wait to find it. Even as young children, we, we enjoyed trying to find something that our, that our parents hid. And, you know, maybe you, you've gone on those uh, scavenger hunts where there's clues and, and you find the next clue and then you find the next clue and then you find the next clue. And it, and it might be something that is, you know, a, a little plastic toy from the dollar store, but, but I found it. I found it. And here, we, Jesus is engaging with that common experience, there, there are things that God has hidden. And they've, they've been dark. But now the lamp comes in and it comes to light because God veiled 
and hidden, the hidden things for the purpose ultimately of revealing them and revealing them in Christ. This, this is the most wonderful treasure hunt that we could ever go on. And it's, and it's a treasure hunt where our Father, our loving Father, has placed things, has revealed things in the fullness of His inspired Word for us to search out and to find, Proverbs 2 says, like hidden treasure. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we put that together as we think about the fact that God sent Christ to reveal hidden things? Paul speaks of the mystery of the gospel in, in Ephesians chapter 3. He says he's an administrator of the mystery of the gospel, and it was hidden in times past. But now in Christ, it was made known. And so when we think about hidden things, when we think about mystery in Scripture and, and throughout the New Testament, there are multiple references to the mystery of God. It's, it's not mystery in the sense of Sherlock Holmes figuring out who did it. It's mystery in the sense that God, out of His free will, out of His goodness, out of His sovereignty, chose to hide things that in his time and in his way and through his person, he would reveal. If you want to think about Ephesians chapter 3, I like to do, just try to help anything I can to help remember chapter content. But Ephesians chapter 3, the way I like to remember Ephesians chapter 3 is there was a mystery and it's the mystery revealed. It's the revealed in Christ. Let's look at a couple of passages that make this explicit. Turn to the next gospel, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I love these passages at the end of Luke's gospel. They bring so much clarity about all of Scripture. Luke 24, and first of all, look at verse 25. Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples. And He says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then if you go toward the end of the chapter in verse 44, now he's talking to his disciples when he appeared to them. And he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And what happens when they're clothed with power from on high? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and acts to enable them to be witnesses of Christ. And how do they bear witness of Christ? They preach Christ from the Scriptures. God sent Christ to reveal hidden things. And one other passage, there's so many we could turn to, I'm just arbitrarily choosing a couple here. First Peter, first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. These passages, again, are critical to understanding the fullness of the revelation that we have in all of Scripture concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, as Peter is reminding the elect exiles of all that they have in Christ, verse 10, 1 Peter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So pause, notice that they are searching and inquiring carefully. They're looking to understand what it is that God was speaking through them as they Declare, thus saith the Lord. Verse 12, but it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you and the things that that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. We have a clear statement that the scriptures were about Christ. They were, they were written by the Spirit of Christ. They were predicting the sufferings and the glories of Christ. And all of that has now come to fruition and the gospel preached through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's so magnificent what we have revealed in Christ. It's so magnificent that angels long to look into these things. Why is it that he states that? Well, there's no redeemed angels. There are the fallen angels that are never going to be redeemed. And there there are the angels around the throne of God, but there are no redeemed angels because it was the sons of Abraham whom Christ came to save. Angels long to look into these things. And so when we think about God's plan of redemption, 
God's plan of bringing many sons to glory, that exists and it's understood only in relation to Christ. It's the preeminence of Christ. It's the glory of Christ that clarifies the revelation of Scripture. One other passage as we return to Mark, let's take a stop by Colossians. Colossians, and look at chapter 2. When we think about this reality that God, God sent Christ to reveal the hidden things, to, to reveal the clarity of the gospel, it's no wonder that in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ." in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then look at verse 9. Run your eyes down to Colossians 2, verse 9. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. God sent Christ to reveal hidden things. And it's only in Christ, it's only as we pursue Christ, as only as we pursue life in Christ, life in union with Christ, that the fullness of all that we have in our salvation is understood. And that is the whole point of Colossians. And we heard this past Tuesday a wonderful message on where that ends. How does it look? Well, as I, as I bathe my mind and my soul in the fullness of who Christ is, then I am ready and willing to extend forgiveness to those that have sinned against me. I'm ready and willing to live a life that is loving like my Christ, like my Savior. But folks, if, if I view the gospel just as a, a set of facts and not as coming into relationship, a vital living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be really hard to forgive like that. God sent Christ to reveal the hidden things. And looking to Christ, the preeminence of Christ has extremely practical ramifications because only in Christ, only as we listen to the Son of God, only as the Word of God is unlocked to our understanding in the glory of Christ, do we understand what it is to be a citizen of heaven, to be a citizen of the kingdom of the Son of God. Well, let's come back now to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. 
We've noted as we begun to look at this parable that God sent Christ to reveal hidden things. Let's consider second this morning that Christ reveals hidden things to those who hear. Christ reveals hidden things to those who hear. In other words, how will I know the hidden things? How will I know and understand the mystery of the gospel How I understand the riches and the abundance that I have in Christ. Well, Christ reveals the hidden things. And again, the hidden things stands for the mystery of the gospel and all the, all of the implications of life in Christ. Christ reveals hidden things to those who hear. Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And in case we missed it, he starts the next statement by saying, pay attention to what you hear. And we've already come through verse 3 where Jesus said, listen. And verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And an understanding that hearing, active hearing, is what produces spiritual fruit. Christ reveals hidden things to those who hear. Now, what does he mean when he's talking about hearing? Is that simply sound waves traveling and hitting your eardrum and and creating the right vibrations to sing, send the signals to your brain? Is, is that the kind of hearing that he is speaking of? Well, there are many who hear like that and don't believe. No, hearing, hearing is a spiritual hearing. It's hearing with spiritual ears. And let's just consider some of the spiritual necessities all generously provided for us in Christ because outside of Christ and outside of the glories of the things that God has given to us and the work that God does in regeneration, we we will not hear, we are deaf. What are the spiritual necessities to hear? Well, you first of all need to believe the word of Christ. You need to believe the word of Christ. You will not be able to hear if you do not believe in the Son. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We might look at this time permitting toward the end, but in John chapter 6, Jesus delivers some difficult teaching to people who are grumbling. And the people who are grumbling about the difficult teaching are the people who turn away from Christ. That's too much. I can't take it. In contrast, Peter, when Jesus said, are are you going to turn away? When he turned to the 12, are you going to turn away? He didn't say, well, Lord, no, because I perfectly understood what it means to eat your flesh and drink your blood. I mean, I got it. 
That was not his response. His response is, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't don't necessarily comprehend what that means, what you just taught, but the Spirit gives life, and the words that you speak are, are Spirit, and they are life. I believe that. I believe that. Believe the Word of Christ. Believe to understand and recognize the work of the Spirit. Paul speaks in First Corinthians chapter two in verses eleven through fourteen of of ministry and spiritual things to spiritual people, and he and he makes the contrast. He says those those who do not have the Spirit of God they cannot receive the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. To hear the word of Christ, to hear the, the gospel and the mysteries of the kingdom is to have the spirit of Christ and to not quench the spirit of Christ, to understand that the spirit of God is at work within us to give us understanding of the things of the word of God. We believe the word of Christ and we recognize the spirit or the work of Christ and uh, the spirit of the work, or the, the work of the spirit of Christ, and I, and I want to pause and just make sure that we understand we're not talking about a, a special category of Christian. This was the problem to those that First uh, John was addressed to. They they claimed that there was. You know, you had to have a, a special knowledge to understand the deep things of God. And, and there was this, this category of special Christians who knew things and had additional experiences to understand these things. And that's not the case at all. All those who are in Christ have the Spirit of God. All those who are in Christ have the capacity in Christ to understand the things of Christ. And again, this is why Paul was so urgent in writing the book of Colossians. He says, I'm, I'm writing to the whole church and I'm striving and struggling so that all of you can come to maturity and understanding the word of Christ because you all who are in Christ, who are part of the kingdom of God, you all have the capacity, you all have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Yet there is a a responsibility that we all have to carefully tend our souls. The spiritual necessities of hearing these things, we believe the word of Christ, we recognize the the work of the Spirit, and yet we carefully tend our own souls. Look at 1 Peter again. If you would, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll just mention while you're turning over there that James 1 is another passage that teaches the same thing in verses 19 through 27. Not being hearers only, but also doers of the word. But in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter At the end of chapter 1, Peter speaks and identifies the word of truth that brought life 
And he says, the word is the good news that was preached to you. And so continuing along that vein, in chapter 2, he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. To hear, to hear and to grow in understanding and, and to understand the glories of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's, a, there's necessity to carefully tend your soul to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Our, our souls are like gardens. And if any of you have tried to do a garden, there are some very gifted gardeners in our midst. I am not one of them. I'm terrible at tending my garden. What happens to an untended garden The weeds come in. The weeds come in. And our souls, untended, those roots of fleshliness, they grow fast. It astounds me how fast weeds grow. My vegetables, it takes them forever, but the weeds grow fast. The sin, the fleshliness of our heart, it produces all of these things that we have to carefully tend and weed out of our soul. And where does that cause us to continue to run? As as we understand in the light of the gospel, in the light of the imperatives, the commands that life in Christ generates to, to forgive and to be kind and to put others' interests above our own. I mean, we can just stop there and think, boy, I've got some tending to do with my soul. Well, it drives us back to Christ. It drives us back to repentance and to faith to understand all these weeds, all these fleshly tendencies, they're there, but Christ is my Savior. He atoned for all of my sin. And He is my King. And Peter, that's exactly where Peter goes in verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As we tend our souls so that the clarity of the Word of God and, and the power of the Spirit of God at work to teach us the glories that are found in the Word of God, the glories that are found in our Savior, we're being built up to continually offer together sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ reveals hidden things to those who hear, to those who believe the word and who have the spirit of God at work. 
And so it's so necessary that we would constantly tend our souls to receive the word. And let me just give us some practical considerations along those lines. How do we hear? And then I say this with, with joy because there are so many here today to hear the word of God. And you've come, you've placed yourself under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. That is critical. You're doing exactly one of the key elements of hearing the Word of Christ. You're hearing the Word of God explained and expounded and applied. You're in a setting where in the preaching of the Word, and one of the definitions I like to use for what is it to preach? What is preaching? Well, it's a monologue, right? I'm not taking questions this morning. It's a monologue from the Scripture, an authoritative monologue from the Word of God, proclaiming the Word of God that addresses the will. Right, we're, we're here together so that the Word of God can address our will and, and the Spirit of God can bring conviction to our souls where the roots of fleshliness have sprouted up and, and, and fleshly things are coming in so that we can turn to Christ in repentance. And so when we think about hearing and thinking about gathering together, it's critical that we prepare to hear the Word of God. Like this, this, is the, this is the high point of our week. That we plan, we plan to be ready to hear the Word of God. We pray as we come in to hear the Word of God that the Spirit of God will do its work in our lives, that we'll be tender to the work of God in us. And obviously, we are here to hear the Word of God. We're present. And then as we hear it, it's important to engage, to engage in the Word of God. And again, what a joy it is to bring the Word to those who are engaged, to those who are hungry, to those who have an appetite. And sometimes that is hel- it's helpful to jot notes as the Word is being preached so that we capture the truth of Scripture And we're practicing listening to the Word of God and listening in a dependent way as the Word of God is preached and as Christ reveals Himself through the Word preached to us. But to hear the Word of Christ, it doesn't end at the end of the sermon. It doesn't end when we walk out of the church. It doesn't end in our time with the Lord on our, uh, throughout the week and our personal time with the Lord doesn't end when we close the Bible and now the Word of God has no bearing on my life. No, to hear the Word, we meditate on what we hear. We take the Word with us. We fix it in our mind. And when we hear the Word of God, we rejoice in what God has told us. We repent because of the conviction that God brings to our souls and we resolve by the power of the Lord to to live for his glory. Paul speaks of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I believe it is, where he prays for the Thessalonians and he says, I'm praying that every resolve that you have made for Christ and in Christ that you'll be able to carry it out for the glory of God. 
Psalm 19, or 119, is a wonderful chapter to spend time in and see how someone interacts with the Word of God. In verse 23, the psalmist says, Though princes plot against me, I'm going to cling to the Word of God. In verse 107, he says, Though I'm in affliction, I'm going to cling to the Word of God. I'm going to meditate on the Word of God. Verse 110, although, although the wicked are against me, I'm going to cling. I'm going to think about, I'm going to rest in the Word of God. And in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, the, the psalmist raises the question, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your Word. With my whole heart I have sought thee, O let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so verse 128, I esteem all your words to be right and I hate every false way. I bring the word with me. I I rejoice in the word. I turn in repentance when the word convicts and I resolve to remain in the word and to live for the Lord of the word. And as one in Christ, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as, as someone who has the spirit of God, as someone striving to tend my soul, then Christ continues to open the riches of life in Christ as I anticipate the day when I stand before him. Oh, the joys are a multitude when we turn to the word and give heed to the word. And again, I I just would urge those, anyone who's outside of Christ, you're missing, you're missing the glories of knowing the God of heaven, the God who made you. You're missing the glories of living this life according to his plan and in anticipation of eternal, glorious service and worship before the Lamb. These are the glories. Christ reveals the hidden things to those who hear. Turn back, if you will, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Again, our theme, listen to God's Son. Listen to God's Son to understand the kingdom of God. We've seen that God sent His Son to reveal hidden things, that Christ reveals hidden things to those who hear. And so as we look at Jesus' words in verses 24 and 25, He says, Pay attention to what you hear, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There are two final exhortations here. First, diligent hearing. Diligent hearing brings abundant blessing. The one who has, more will be given. And before that, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. Diligent hearing brings abundant blessing. 
And you know, as, I'm, as I was thinking and, and preparing and just thinking about the reality of, of life in this world, right? We think about hearing and, and, and giving attention to the Word of God, and sometimes that can be a bit discouraging. Like my life is so full of responsibilities of small children and of long hours and of hard academic standards and of brokenness and of pain and of loneliness and of sickness and of longing. And your heavenly Father knows that. He knows that this life has many pressures. And Christ says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And, And if we stopped there, we would say, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm really not anticipating too much then. But look at that next statement. And still more will be added to you. That's the generosity of Christ. It's the generosity of our Heavenly Father. We listen the best we can. We make it a priority to be under the Word of God. And and we all, we feel woefully inadequate to retain what we've heard, to put into practice what we've heard, simply to praise the God who's revealed himself to us. Ah, but Jesus says, yes, and more will be added. More will be added. The Lord will add out of his generous abundance and it, that simple statement represents more than we could ever comprehend. Don't despair in discouragement. Cast yourself, cast yourself on your loving Savior and on the generosity of your Heavenly Father. Diligent hearing brings abundant blessings. But then also, Jesus ends with that sober warning. Distracted, distracted hearing, on the other hand, or hearing that is, you know, it's, you write these things and you think, I don't, I don't even like that word, distracted. It's, it's worse than distracted. Fruitless hearing, rebellious hearing, unbelieving hearing brings certain poverty. Those who refusing the invitation to hear will lose what they think they possessed Just being in church under the sound waves of the preaching is not enough. A knowledge of Scripture in and of itself divorced from the person of Christ is not enough. Jesus addressed some of the most scripturally informed people of his day and said, you missed the whole point because you missed me. What a travesty to hear Christ proclaim and yet lose all you thought you had in the day you stand before him. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, I never, never knew you. You know, we know that there were two men who heard this parable of Christ. There were more, obviously, but two men for sure, two disciples. John 
and Judas. And those, the lives of those two men illustrate the weightiness of Jesus' final words in this parable. Think about John. We already looked at Mark 10 where James and John were, they had a wrong interpretation of the kingdom of heaven. We, we want the good seats, and Jesus clarified that. But as we work through Scripture, what we find is that that same John was the one who wrote those precious epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That same John was on the island of Patmos and was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and and he got to see the glorified Christ and had a revelation of what is yet to come. He heard. He heard, and it was added to him abundantly. He didn't hear perfectly. He needed lots of clarification but God granted him an abundance. And of course, he's unique in his apostolic office, but but he illustrates the reality that as we hear the Lord and as we believe Christ, the glories of Christ become more and more understood as we live in this world. Judas, here's Judas Three years under the word of Christ. Life in the presence of Christ. He saw the works. He heard the words. He experienced the personal attention of Christ, even to the point of dipping his bread in the same bowl on the night that he betrayed him. And yet that is what he did. He betrayed Christ. And what he had was lost. Ultimately, Ultimately, when we consider what it is and who it is that listens to the Son of God, it will ultimately be the cross that defines that. We'll be confronted with the cross. Listening to the Son of God will always lead ultimately to denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Christ. It will lead to servanthood. The centurion saw Christ's battered and bloodied body hanging on the cross, and he said, truly, that's the Son of God. It was revealed to him. Listening to the Son will lead to the cross, and it's the cross that becomes the dividing line. Do you listen to God's Son and understand the kingdom and understand that being a kingdom citizen now, being a kingdom citizen as we await for the arrival of our King means taking up the cross and following Jesus Christ. John said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Listen to God's Son to understand the glorious kingdom of God and the riches of all that God has in his word and in Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of Christ. We thank you for the simple 
pictures that Christ laid out. And we thank you for the majestic treasures that are ours in Christ and in the Word. O Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that we would have joy in our Savior, that we would have joy in taking up our cross and in following Him. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening from Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can find more church information and other helpful materials at thetruthpulpit.com, teaching God's people God's Word. This message is copyrighted, all rights reserved.